Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. And that song in the sanctuary just brought it out more vividly, just what you have done for us. That there's a sanctuary in heaven, that you're looking down upon us today and you're blessing us in a very special way. You you did during the Sabbath school, and we just pray that that same spirit will continue to be with us during this hour. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a little boy that loved sports. He went out into his front yard and he had his baseball cap on, his ball and his bat. And he shouted, he went out to the front yard by himself and he shouted, I am the best batter in the whole world. And he put the bat on his shoulder, threw the ball up, and struck at it with all his might, and he missed. He said, strike one. And he picked up the ball, and he threw it up again, and he swung with all he had, and he missed again. He said, strike two. He picked up the ball again, and Throw it up, kind of balance it in his hand, and then he threw it up, and with all of his might, his integrity, he swung at that ball again, and he missed. And he shouted, I am the best pitcher in the whole world. (laughs) Well, you know, we have come to another end of another year, and... I love that little boy's attitude. This is the last Sabbath of 2017, and as we think over in the last 12 months, I'm not sure whether you would consider yourself in the story of the little boy where you would be the batter or the pitcher. But I think there's one thing for sure. In the last 12 months, there have been one time or another that you struck out. That you struck out. We've swinged and we have missed. The question is, how do you anticipate 2018? Are you looking forward to it eagerly? Or is it something that you... uh, have great expectations for? What the new year will bring to you and your family, or are you filled with dread? Uh, Are you thinking that it will be worse probably than this year? Like the little boy in our story, the little boy at the bat, your attention, your attitude, I believe will have everything to do with 2018. I want to talk to you this morning about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, to me, was one of the greatest, I I think next to the Lord Jesus Christ, I would have to put him second on the list. But what happened in his life did not determine his his, uh, level of happiness or success or his love for the Lord. 
He did not allow the circumstances to conquer his life. We can look at Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse, at verse 12. And I, and I want you to, for many of us, I believe that this should be our verse for 2018. As we look at this passage, we look at what Paul has to say. He said, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And verse 13, brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Did you, did you get what the Apostle Paul is saying? He is saying, I am not perfect. We're not perfect. Is that okay? I'm not perfect, but I'm going, I'm going for it. I'm pressing forward because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But here you go, you go with the Apostle Paul. This is his attitude. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, I press onward toward that goal, that upward goal, that call in Christ Jesus. We should, I believe, have a big amen there. Those words need to reverberate in each, in, uh, in each one of our hearts. Jesus doesn't self-sell the fact that there's going to be a time of trouble. There's going to be a time of trouble. And uh, he doesn't self-sell that fact. But there's something that he has promised us. The greatest commandment of all is that he will take care of us. You know, every day when we turn on our television today, there's something different. There's something new. I, if I want to be depressed, just turn on the news. And that's the quickest way that I can, can reach a depressed state is just watching the news. I do turn it on because I want to know what the weather is. And sometimes I, I want to know what to pray for. But I find it interesting that with all the trouble that we're facing today, and it looks like that Satan might be winning. It seems like that this world is just falling apart. But I find it interesting that in the Gospels by far away, the one commandment that is mentioned more than any other is don't be afraid. Don't worry. Over and over again, he, he, he mentions this. This is a command, this is a command or some form of command or statement. Do not fear, do not be afraid. 125 times he mentions this. Do not worry, do not be afraid. And the next most common, common, uh, command in the gospel that's mentioned only eight times and that's to love God and to love our fellow men and we get this with all the prospective teaching and the gospel and when Jesus would teach on this topic and inevitably it would build on this foundation that you don't need to be afraid you don't need to be afraid 
But when you look at Scripture in Matthew 10, verse 26, it says, Do not be afraid. Let's go back to verse 17. It says, You will be handed over to the courts and in, and in, in their synagogues. They will scourge you. It says, You will be handed over to the courts. You will stand trial because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity, opportunity to tell the rulers and others about me. And when, when you are arrested, it doesn't say that you, uh, if you are arrested, it says when you are arrested because it's speaking of that time. Do not worry. Do not worry how to respond. I will give you the words. I know this is true. I have experienced that. There was one example I, my wife and I went into, and he'd sent in a card. He wanted to show his wife, I think, how, what this cult was all about. And he was going to, he was going to uh, uh, show his wife just that, uh, and he's going to tell me what, what I was in, what the cult I was in, and I... And there's better things. But every word he asked me, every word he asked me, not only did I, did I give him the answer, I went into detail on it. I went into detail why it happened, when it happened. And, and uh, he just sat there with his mouth open, his wife, and I'm sure she was thinking, you was going to tell this man about it the cult he's in and she was just absolutely amazed and you know we we after it was over we went out this man had changed his mind totally he had his arm on my shoulder and he was said keep up the good work you're doing brother we went out and my wife looked up at me and she said Glenn, no one could have done a better job than you did I said I didn't do that he did that I had to put it in my computer at one time in my life or it wouldn't have been there. I, I believe that. But when it was needed, God spoke through me. And we still serve the same God today. And it's a wonderful thing. I believe there are three tangible ways that we can come to have that experience with Jesus. That's through prayer. And that's... Uh, Praying, reading God's uh, Bible, and witnessing. Praying is when we talk to Him. Uh, reading God's Bible is when He talks to us. And witnessing is when we do things together. And I, I think that is a time that we realize the presence of God, of God more than any other time. A wonderful promise I believe there are times, though, that when we study the Word of God, we study to know Him, but there are times there's coming a point that we must put Him to the test. We must, and it's a wonderful thing to know. In Numbers 23, verses 19 and 20, says, God is not human that He should lie, not a human being that He should change His mind. There's other texts. First Samuel fifteen twenty nine. I think that that was a scripture reading for today. 
Titus 1-2, 1 John 1-10, 1 John 5-10, over tells us that God cannot lie, he will not lie. And over 50 years, nearly 50 years, he has been my friend, my savior, the one, and I've learned that I can totally trust him. He's never told me anything wrong yet. He's never told me a promise that I have claimed that he did not, that he did not follow through with. Fifty years of trust in him, and I, I can tell you, he does not lie. He cannot lie. I was in the hospital the second of this month. We had communion. I believe in communion. To me, it's a special time. I don't think a lot of people really rem, uh, has any idea what communion is all about. Communion is a time that God has a special banquet that he holds for his people. It's a celebration of what he has done for us, and that's very mean, meaningful for me. But on the so I was here, I was very sick. I uh, but I was determined to stay here and and have communion. But after I went home, I wound up that that evening. I wound up in a hospital in, in uh, Oneida. And I will say this about the Oneida Hospital. I think uh, they don't have a surgeon. But they did an excellent job. And they sent me to the hospital, uh, my choice of hospitals that I had to go to uh, because I looked like I needed surgery. And uh, they had everything taken care of by the time I got to Somerset. I mean, the surgeon, I mean, the, the, the physician in Oneida had made all the preparations, and when I arrived in Somerset, they took me straight to intensive care. The doctor come in, and he said, uh, I've never had a doctor be that blunt. He said, you know what, this is a, a major operation. He told me, basically, I might not make it. He said, uh, I, I think he was thinking that there might be some things, if there is, that I should, I should be honest with him, that, that he's speaking to me, that he might be some things he would like to take care of, the last things. Uh, he'd like to take care of her for family or church. But anyway... Right after that, Murray and Jim came came up, and I want to tell you something. Murray is an encourager. She said three or four times, "Glenn, God has brought you through this before, and He'll do it. He'll do it again, or He can do it again." She mentioned this three or four times, <laughs> and after they left, the doctor come back in, and he looked at me, and he said, "I see there was a different look on his face." He looked at, and he said, things are changing. They were taking x-rays and all of this. He said, things are changing. It doesn't look the same. By the way, thank you, church, for your prayers. He said, it doesn't look the same. And I said, well, doctor, what about this morning? He said, I don't know. Things are different. And the head nurse was there, and she said, yes, I heard it this morning. And that's when he explained that things were different. 
But you know, friends, God has, what was I to do? Trust in the surgeon that had come in first and give me a doomsday message, or was I to trust in my friend <laughs> that I have come to know and love, and he's never lied to me yet in 50 years, and he's been my best friend. He loves me, and he's told me, Glenn, you're going to preach a sermon the night of this month. That was the next week. Now, am I supposed to trust in this, the surgeon? Or my best friend that I have trusted. He's never lied to me. He cannot lie. He's told me that. He will not. He's always kept his promise. And he's told me that I am speaking next week. Well, that's the God that I serve. That's the God that's available to each and every one of us. Well, Tuesday... They moved me out of intensive care to a, to a, to a regular room. And uh, the next morning, the next day was my birthday, December the 6th. You know, the, the hospital, I think it's about eight of them, and here they come with a balloon with happy birthday on it, and there's about eight of them. They gathered around my bed and they sang happy birthday to me. <laughs> And they, and they had a cake. And then the doctor came, came in. And he said, I'm going to give you the best gift of all. But he said, I'm giving you the, the greatest gift of all for your birthday. I'm sending you home. And he said, go home. Continue to live your lifestyle that you was. I, don't, I can't tell you anything to change. He said, uh, you don't even need to visit me again unless you have a problem, but I would just suggest that you go home and continue to live the same lifestyle. Friends, God does not lie. He tells you something. He means it. And when he says, I care, don't worry, don't fear, he means every word of it. He's going to be with us. I don't care what happens. He will be with you. I'd like to suggest something to you. For a happy new year, for a wonderful 2018, invest yourself in people. I'll never forget the last sermon that I preached in Hamilton, Ohio. The week before that, they had had a Glenn and Bert day on a Sunday, and they had uh, uh, give us a clock, uh, a chime, a wall chime clock, and every time it chimes, I was supposed to think of the Hamilton church. And I did for a long time. And uh, well, I still do sometimes. But uh, they also had a large cake and made in the shape of Kentucky. And on that cake, it said, Glenn and Bert on lawn to Kentucky. <laughs> and then they give us an album. And in this album is the pictures. And Florence, I have to share this with you, is with the pictures of all the people in the Hamilton church and statements that they had made about our minister, mine and Bert's ministry to them. So it was a very, I was had a very close relationship with them. There are others that said, the next Sabbath was my last sermon. I, we moved the next day. And uh, 
And many of them said there was, didn't think there was a dry eye in the house. I don't know. I couldn't tell because my eyes were wet, but I'll never forget the sermon that I, that I told them. This is what I, I said, next week I will be with my new church family, and I will not love them as much as I love you. Because, you see, you love what you invest in. Bird and I have invested 15 of the best years of our life in this church. We've invested in you. And you love what you invest in. That's the reason that parents love their children so much, because they invest so much in them. And I, and it happened. It happened when I got here and, the week before I got here, Flark, you had to have something to do with this. I got a call in Ohio that when we got here, that the church family would be at the house I was moving to to, to, to help unload the van. And I assured them that my family would be there, be there to help. But I found this a loving church. I did make a statement to my wife. I said, I... I'm not going to do anything for a month, but that wasn't, didn't seem to be possible because I preached the first two sermons. <laughs> and, but this has been a wonderful experience to me. I love all of you so very much. I think when you have the, the, that vertical dimension is right, the horizontal dimension is going to be right. I don't think that you can love God without loving your fellow man. I they, they this two seem to go together. But something happens. I believe that in my case I was a I was a, a body language teacher. This for the Ohio conference and this was how to to uh uh to claim backsliders or those that have no longer attended church. And maybe this is the reason I notice this more than anything else, but there are certain things that people... I believe that every action reveals a character. Every action reveals a character. And there are certain people that do not know the way I feel about them, probably. They could, but uh, I have very special feelings for them. Tanya, I'll never forget the time... That you went to Bert and Sister Lena uh, was so they were they were just so very close. They both had Alzheimer's, and they took care of each other. They 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 seemed to know that, and they took care of each other here in the church. And they were so special to each other. I mean, Sister Lena Stonewall and Bert and Tanya went to the Monticello Church or, or nursing home. And got Sister Lena and took her to the nursing home in Somerset, where Bert was at, so they could be together one more time. Tanya, that said something to me about you, and that that you have a very, very special heart. And we could go on and on. Mike, there's something else about you, brother. That I I I realize today. There are people that will tell you that their so-and-so is a best friend and they will not go across town to see them in a nursing home or something. Mike, I know that you went all the way to North Carolina to see a sick friend. and I think one time it was a death. But see me like I remember two times you did this. This tells me that if Mike is a friend to you, he's a friend to you. 
and we don't see enough of that today. I have one one man that calls me every week. I give him Bible studies. Uh, about 35 years ago, he called me three times last week. But you, those, there's, those are very few. Those are very few, and you appreciate them so much. But this tells me something about Mike, that if he's your friend, he's your friend, and he'll always be your friend. But there's another couple here that I have not, they're not with us today. They haven't been. I've been concerned about them because I love them so very much. And that's uh, Pauline and Kay. Pauline Jones and Kay. I just love those people because, you know, I we come into church about the same time. And and we I remember it was in the early 70s. Glenn Coon had just had a series of evening meetings, a camp meeting, and he was, his uh, series was on prayer. Ask, believe, and claim. Not the way the Pentecostals do it, <laughs> it's a little different. But I still pray that prayer. And I it, it's the most profitable prayer that I can pray. God answers those prayers quicker for me than any other. But every time I pray that prayer, I think I remember Vernon, Pauline, Kay, and Len. I tell you, they're so, so spe- that makes them so special. They're my family. I, I, I feel like that they're family. Of course, they're family in church, yes. But even before that, I felt a family feeling for those, those folks. And you know what? Those that have, and I've expressed that to some of the folks here, and, and you know, they, they feel the same way. They just love that couple. And we just miss them so much. Let's, let's pray that they'll be back with us soon because they're such very special people. And, and not only do I love them, the, the other members of the church does also. One of the things that I would, another suggestion I would make for having a wonderful New Year's, Bird and I did, not only did we minister to the, uh, our church family in Hamilton, we visited nursing homes. Today, many senior citizens are put in nursing homes by their families just to get rid of them. I've been in nursing, I remember one lady, she had a, a son, he was she hadn't seen him in 14 years. And she was constantly praying that he would come to see her. And you know, when we would walk in, the smile on her face, because we were the only family that she knew. And there were others like that. But you know, if you want to see the face of Jesus... If you want to see the simile of the face of Jesus, visit these nursing homes where people no longer have visitors and you can be the only family that they would have. Like the little boy that I remember, the little boy wanted to see God. He packed his backpack with uh, Cokes and Twinkies and left to search for God. He got as far as the city park and he, there's a ladies, elderly ladies sitting on a park bench f- feeding the pigeons. 
And he went up and he sat down beside over and like there was a conversation that got started after a while and he got a little thirsty and he reached down and got a Coke and he noticed that she was watching him. And he reached in and got, gave her a Coke. And that smile, he's, he just, just amazing, that smile. And uh, after a while he got a little hungry and he reached in and got a Twinkie. So, and she was still watching him. He gave her a Twinkie. And uh, again, that beautiful smile, he said. And the day was getting short, so he started toward home. And he got about a block down the a path, and he turned around and went back and gave this senior lady a big hug. He had never seen a smile like that before. It was just absolutely radiant. He went home, and his parents said to him, one of them said to him, you know, I've never seen you so happy. You are so happy today. And what happened? He said, why shouldn't I be? i just seen God. Well, she goes home. She stayed with her, her son. And uh, he stayed with, she stayed with her son. And her son or the, the daughter-in-law said, Mom, I've never seen you so happy. Said, you had just, I've never seen you this happy before. She said, why shouldn't I be? I just seen God today. I didn't realize he's so small. And she said, he loves Twinkies and Cokes. <laughs> but if you want to truly experience a wonderful New Year's, just invest yourself in people. Invest yourself in, in seniors. I'd like to read to you. I was explaining to you they give us an album with all the pictures of the, my church family in it. But this is... Uh, one of the shut-ins that we visited, she was quite a poet, and she wrote this for my wife and I. Her name is Geraldine Parks. She said, so often I think of, you, of your precious name whenever I wander down memory lane to the garden of friendship filled with flowers where with you I spend many happy hours. And no matter how old I grow to be, you two will always be near and dear to me. I think of everything that was in that album, that's one that we, we, my wife and I both, we just loved. And she goes on, For I need only to turn down memory lane, and you are here with me once again. You know, this is, again, Happy New Year's. That will be if you invest yourself in people. You cannot invest yourself in people without loving them. You cannot love unless you trust him. And for over 50 years, he's kept his promise to me. He's never lied to me. I think that you have to put him to the test. I did that. And for 50 years, he's proven that test, how much he loves me and how much he loves you. He has a great year planned for you. Just trust and obey.